for an Advent focus as we're getting ready to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate his birth. In Luke's gospel, Luke writes this. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The birth of Jesus Christ changes everything and gives us hope. It's the birth of hope. I want to pray and ask God's favor. Abba, Father, I love you and I thank you. And thank you for these dear people. Lord, in your love and your grace and your mercy, would you please bless us right now. Ears to hear, hearts to believe, eyes to see who you are and the difference you make in our lives. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the great stories of our faith. Today, we're focusing on Joseph. I'm really excited about it. I want you to take your Bibles, either click to it or turn to it. We've got a little problem to work through, you know. And um, uh, I, I have had clients, folks that come to see me during the week, and many of them are really, really angry at God. They're angry at God, Joe, because suffering came their way. And then they get mad, and so they look to the Bible for contradictions. And if they see a contradiction in the Bible, they go, aha, it can't be God's holy word, there's a, there's a contradiction. So if the Bible's false, then God must be false, and it justifies their anger. And they feel really good trying to deconstruct God by deconstructing Scripture. Does anybody see a contradiction in 37, 36, and 39.1? And I use the word gently, a contradiction. <laughs> Andrew? Okay, there are actually two groups of people. They're actually separate people. The sons of Midian and the sons of Ishmael. Yeah, the whole Hagar thing. Yeah. You got a problem. Who sold who? <laughs> We've got one, one verse saying that he was sold by this, this, these human traffickers. And then the very next verse, it's, it's a different group of human traffickers. What do you do? Is that a contract, a conflict? You're like, oh, look, there's a mistake in God's word. If we deconstruct scripture, we have to deconstruct God. It's all a fairy tale. Alas, we're alone on planet Earth. Now what do we do? Interesting. We're, yes, we're going to actually learn a little bit more about that. But, but yeah, we learned that two, three Wednesdays or Sundays ago. By the way, um, if you notice verse 37, if you can imagine taking verse, uh, chapter 38 and just kind of pulling it for a second, pull it aside. This is how it reads. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him to Egypt, or in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard, skip 38, go right into 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt in Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, he was a tough dude, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So Genesis 38 is inserted 
in this story, Ed, this is, this is an insurgent story because there's something critically important in 38. We already looked at that last Sunday, the establishing of the bloodline of the tribe of Judah, which is the line that Jesus came from. In fact, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. So how do you reconcile this? You ready? Here we go. Let's reconcile this so we can all rest in our belief and not be shaken. How's that? (laughs) Not be so quickly shaken in our faith. You ready? Number one, the brothers sold Joseph to Ishmaelite traders. That's 37.28. Thank you, Jenna. You picked up on that, Jenna. Okay, number two, the Ishmaelites then sold Joseph to the Midianite traders. This is the buying and selling of a human being. They're trying to get as much money from this dude as they can. All right. Then thirdly, the Midianite traders sold Joseph to Potiphar. Okay. And then four. Look at this. The Ishmaelite traders evidently buy him back from Potiphar. Can you imagine? They just bought, Potiphar just bought him. Hey, I got this dude here. Uh, we're going 40 shekels of silver. He looks like he's pretty healthy. I think I can put him to work, you know, on my house. And then, and then the, the Ishmael said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to give you 50 shekels of silver. We want to buy him back. We made a mistake. We made a mistake. And Potiphar says, okay. Sells him back, makes 10 shekels of silver. Just like that. Over this kid, by the way, how old is he? He's 17. There's something about this kid. They regretted selling him. They thought, ooh, we got, we've got some, we got some power here. And then guess what? They turn right around and sell him back to Potiphar, only at a higher price. It's the only thing that makes sense of the text and honors the text. Okay? There was a lot of bickering, a lot of fuss over Joseph, the buying and selling of a human being. All right, now what? Let's dig in here. I want to read this to you. This is the story, and it has a lot to do with, quote-unquote, blooming where we're planted. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight, because his personal and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he owned. And it came about that from the time he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph in charge of everything that he owned. And with him... He did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The next block, look at this. Verse 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the people of the household was there inside. 
So Potiphar's wife grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought a Hebrew to us to make fun of us. He came into me to sleep with me and I screamed. When he heard that, I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make fun of me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. False accusations and abuse. More false accusations and more abuse. Verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. By the way, that descriptor is very similar to his brothers. His brothers' anger burned against Joseph. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden of the prison. And the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The warden of the prison did not supervise anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made him, or made whatever he did prosper. Are you seeing a thing? That once you see what's inside Joseph's heart, you immediately put him in authority. Once you get what's a 17, once you get what's inside this 17-year-old, they put him in full authority and trust him without question. Fascinating. All right, let's look at this. Why? Why? What is the success of Joseph, and I've just grabbed and put these scriptures here for you. Verse 2, 39 2, the Lord is with Joseph. 39 3, the Lord is with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house on account of Joseph. Joseph, the Lord's blessing is upon all that he owned. 21, the Lord was with Joseph. 23, the Lord was with him. And the Lord made whatever he did prosper. Okay? So if you're going to try to get at what it means to be successful based on this text, if this is all we have on how a successful man is defined, what is going to be the key descriptor? What? The Lord's with you. It's about a relationship. Uh, let me pause just to, to push, push the issue here just a little bit. You know, sometimes we men, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the ladies, but we men, measure our success uh, in very worldly ways. <laughs> we can do it materially. Uh, I'm, I'm really successful when my wallet's bigger than your wallet. You know? Or 
whatever the case, my house is better than your house, or my, my gun shoots farther than your gun. I can kill an elk at a thousand yards. Bless your heart, you do whitetails at 40 feet, you know, something. Bless your heart. Um, men, men have lots of ways they try to define themselves. But for Joseph, a 17-year-old, you can't say he's a phenomenal financer because he's got a PhD in economics that he got from the local Palestinian university. He's 17. He wasn't a, a bodybuilder, warrior, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jew, killing machine kind of dude, and, and that's the kind of big guy you want. No, he was a 17-year-old kid. Okay. He doesn't seem to be a brilliant musician. He doesn't seem to have some kind of talent or skill set that we all would say, wow, I want to grow up and be just like Joseph. He's a 17-year-old kid that gets dreams from God. And he's not ashamed to talk about the dream. He's just a kid. But you take a kid plus God, wow. You get that? A 17-year-old with the Lord with him, wow. Look what happens. You take a 17-year-old woman and the Lord is with her, wow. Look what happens. Okay. This is how success is defined. This is why Joseph is worth all the buying back and forth because he was sold multiple times Jim before he finally settled it with his final final buyer in Egypt. Question for all of us. Just how close are you to the Lord? Just how close are you? Is your, can you reduce your faith down to this kind of a statement? I believe in God. I know that he is. But he's so far away from me. He's kind of doing his thing in his corner of the universe. And I'm kind of doing mine. And I believe in him. But as far as an intimate walk with the Lord, the Lord is with me. Nope. Not happening. I just do my thing. I get up. I get my head off the pillow. I muscle through the day. Busy, busy, busy. I sit down. I throw myself into my phone or the TV, binge on something, and I lay my head down in the pillow again. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's like I'm in a squirrel cage. I'm just spinning the wheel. Yeah. Or can you actually say, can I actually say that the Lord walks with me, the Lord is in me? By the way, you guys know a little Hebrew, right? You got a little Hebrew. What does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. Really? God with us. All right, let's talk about life application. I'm going to turn this over to you. The success of Joseph is defined by the presence of the Lord, not a PhD in economics, not a PhD in political science. The Lord is with him. The model of success given by Jesus is very different in the world. Please appreciate this. The Lord wants to bless people through us. Do you know that Potiphar was being blessed because of Joseph? Well, that sounds like a Jesus idea, you know? Why, why are Christians on planet Earth? We're on planet Earth because God wants us to be a part of the answer, not a part of the problem. God wants to bless people through us. Didn't Jesus say something about being the light of the world? The salt of the earth? Yeah. 
So when you walk into work on Monday morning, I'm sorry, I just said something very negative. I'm sorry, when you get to enjoy your career tomorrow, thank you for smiling, at 8 a.m., you know what? You get to make a decision. If the Lord is with you, then the Lord wants to bless people through you. Let's make sure you get that. If the Lord is with you, he wants to bless people through you. And when you walk to your office or your workplace tomorrow morning, you got to make a decision. If the Lord is with you, how is he going to use you? How about this one? Oh, this, is, this is a little upsetting. Satan wants to destroy people through you. Wow. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Paul writes in Philippians to the church, look, if you guys grumble and backbite and are devouring each other, you don't shine like stars in the heavens. People look at you and they say, whatever it is you have, I don't want it. But if you are kind and loving and treat each other with dignity and you literally are modeling the life that I have for you, you shine like stars in heaven and people go, wow, look at that, I want that. That's what they did with Joseph. Satan wants to destroy people through you, me. The Lord wants to bless people through us. Joseph would rather go to prison on false charges than sin against God. Wow. Joseph would rather go to prison on false charges than sin against God. God is faithful. God is righteous. He knows your limits. He knows what you can and cannot handle regarding your temptation. He will always provide a way of escape. And sometimes that means living a garment and running as fast as you can. Sometimes that's what it means. Being neglected and underappreciated never justifies sin. Being neglected and underappreciated never justifies sin. And that includes reaching for the Jack Daniels to somehow dull the pain. Somehow dull the pain. Feeling neglected. In the words of the brilliant philosopher, if you've seen The Lion King, Scar. Life's not fair. Feeling a little neglected? Okay. Okay. Feeling underappreciated? God blesses everything I do. I can touch an ashtray and it turns to gold. You know, I'm just so smart. I supervise the garden, bumper crops. I supervise the sheep, look it. I've tripled my hurt. You know. Wow, I'm awesome. Nobody's writing me thank you notes. <laughs> Did the dishes for my wife. You know what she said? Nothing. She said. And even can do that. What do I get for it? Nothing. Oh, yeah. I bust my chops 40, 45 hours a week and I bring home the paycheck. I pay the mortgage and what do I get? Nothing. You get the point, don't you? You can feel all the neglect you're capable of feeling. You can feel all the ways you're underappreciated for all the profound ways you sacrifice and you serve so many people. And it will never justify sin. If Joseph was around, people had it good. They had it good. And it never justifies sin. 
A follower of Jesus knows who to run from and who to run to. A follower of Jesus knows who to run from and who to run to. Suffering and abuse come in many forms. It comes from a hateful and jealous family, Joseph, Joseph's brothers. You may relate to that statement. People who in your, in your own house hate you or there's jealousy, mess. Or what about this one? Human traffickers, Israeli, Ishmaelite, Midianite, Egyptian, Islamic, and Epsteinites. Suffering and abuse come in many forms. Perverse and egotistical people like Potiphar's wife. Suffering and abuse come in many, many forms. And a man of God knows who to run from and who to run to. And a wise woman of God knows who to run from and who to run to. By the love and the sovereignty of God, our suffering is never wasted. By the love of God, the sovereignty of God, God is no fool. Your suffering, my suffering is not wasted. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You are the body of Christ. How do we take ownership of this story? You ever feel like the poor kid can't win for the losing? You know, he's just a kid and he's having dreams given by God. And he's telling this story of what God's doing in his life and his brothers can't stand it. There's a chip on their shoulders that they got from dad in the whole Esau, Jacob mess. And the boys picked up on it. And now this little squirt thinks he's going to pull one on us like our dad did his brother. Uh-uh. We're not going to let that happen in my house. And it ends up happening. The very thing you run from sometimes is a very part of the problem inside of us. What do you think? When I look at the story of Joseph, it parallels Jesus and few ways obviously suffering mm-hmm. um, there's a quiet sense that we get from the text apart from him running away from yeah, yeah it's actually quiet though yeah but Jesus did that when he went to the temple yeah. and overturned the table so yeah. a quiet life is not the definition of Jesus but for the most part what we see is a is a guy who understood and probably mm-hmm. suffered emotionally we don't know his biography we don't know what he was dealing with in prison. There is, yes it's there in the text yeah but what i also see is is someone who gives up control who mm-hmm. isn't trying to be self-preserving someone who's not trying to at any given point in the story there was some good that came from it i mean being second in command of you know to potiphar that's a good way to live out your life, and yet that wasn't all there was. I mean, he was put second command uh, next to next to Pharaoh, and, and ironically, it was because of his influence that brought all the Egyptians into, or excuse me, all the uh, Israelites into Egypt that ended up sort of leading to the imprisonment because yes. of that, because of that yes. uh, that pressure or that. Um, 
I think Joseph represents a a person who obviously puts him puts God in front of his mm-hmm. his world. But more than that, I think he is led by, just like Jesus was led by the Father. At no point did Jesus say, "My will." He said, "It's always about my Father. I'm always mm-hmm. doing what my Father's mm-hmm. telling me to do." Mm-hmm. And so, bringing that to the 21st century, his world wasn't. His life wasn't driven by what he could get. And here we are talking about him in 2021 and the legacy that he left as part of a bigger story. Sure, the Bible sure. wasn't written for Joseph, but Joseph is part of that legacy that leads to Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate <coughs> legacy. And so it reminds me of, simply put, what's my part in the mm-hmm. story of, of God? And it doesn't have to be something that shakes the world, but being a good father, being a good husband, being a man who knows what my gifts are Mm. can lead to a life change and lead to influence that then just continues to cyclically move forward. Okay, I'll continue to use my gifts so that I can influence for the sake of Christ. I admit my ego gets in the way. I feel good when I get recognized, but I also recognize that that can't be the end-all be-all of why I do what I do. Mm. It has to be for the sake of Mm. So you can't maybe see what I see. Some of you folks can. Look at Carson. This guy snuggled up next to Dad. How cool is that, right? Pass the legacy that you're giving Carson. Really powerful. By the way, Pop Curry's ready, ready theologians. Talk to me about Joseph and how he had his quiet time. What, what Bible did he read from? Michael. And, you know, <laughs> seminary was good to you, buddy. Good to you. Thank you. It all came together that one moment. Love you. Joe, what was he reading? Nothing. Didn't have nothing. Didn't even have, who's the lady Jesus calling Sarah White? Sarah Young. Didn't even have Sarah Young to help him understand. Jesus calls us in the morning. It's wonderful. He didn't have that. Would you say that again, please? The power was in the relationship he had with God, not just information about God. Can I put pressure on you and ask you to say that one more time? Because some people are a little dull of hearing over here. Say that again. Power was in the relationship with God, not in information about God. Okay, let's do the math. If you're 40 years old, let's just round it, round it up. So, Jay, you're 40 years old, okay? Jay's been following Jesus for... Since he's 15, 25 years. How many sermons have you heard? Ballpark it, what do you think? If you followed Jesus for 25 years, how many sermons have you heard? I hate math. Why does he do that? We just want to be encouraged to hear a few jokes and go home. That's all we want. Like 1,300. Okay. Add, add Wednesday night because he's faithful. And you know, people on Wednesday love Jesus. See, Sunday morning, they like hanging out with friends. That's why they go on Sunday morning. Sunday night, okay, you don't understand that concept. Um, anyway, it, we used to go to church on Sunday night, and we loved the pastor. Wednesday, you love Jesus, buddy. That's serious business. So what if, what if you added two services a week? Double it. Okay. What about devotionals and podcasts and all the stuff? 
Dear lady, is it an information problem? Do we lack information? Oh, it's that one insight, that little one, that little bitty insight that if we could just get it, oh, the kingdom of God opens up, the sky clears with your trumpets. Now I can walk with Jesus. So this little thing, I couldn't quite settle it. No, no, who are we kidding? It's a relationship. It's what I'm seeing right now with these two right here. Yeah. Noah snuggled up next to his dad, Dan. Loves his daddy, yeah. Thank you. You have spoken well. Thank you. Someone else, why does this matter? Yes, sir. Chris, I gotta say, I don't know that I ever understood Joseph to be 17 years old. I guess I was thought of him younger. And that really changes the story in my brain. Because 17-year-old's pretty mature. So he's very well aware, probably, physically, uh, you know, adequately, and having to, to fight against 11 brothers that are trying to push him into a pit. And so going through this whole story now, thinking about him as a 17-year-old, as opposed to, I guess, a more immature 12-year-old or something that I had always imagined, really changes my perspective how he handled it. Uh, and it kind of cuts me to the heart a little bit because uh, I look back on the trials, some of the trials that, I, that I've just had to go through with my job and everything, and, and I wish I would have handled some of it like he handled it. Uh, that's all I have. Thank you. When Joseph is introduced as the dreamer, with a coat of many colors. The Hebrew text says he was, quote unquote, but a youth. He's young, he's young. Now, Michael, you're right. The average 17 year old in ancient Mediterranean culture would be considered older by our standards. Thanks to our, our American culture, we have created a phenomenon that didn't exist, say, 100 years ago. Linda, you're nodding already. It's called adolescence. There's no such thing X number of years ago. You were either a child or an adult. And but we have taken that transition point and spread it out so adolescence is dropping down to 11, 12, 11, 10-ish, on up to uh, mid-20s now, adolescence. We're perpetuating child-like living. It's really crazy. So, yeah, you're right. But even then, the text describes him as being very youthful. So, anybody else? on how we pull the Joseph story into our world today. What do you think? Campbell, how old are you? 16. 16. Can you imagine your brothers and sisters about to sell you? <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Please, yeah, please, get me out of here. And, and, you, you know, and can you imagine the pressure that would be on that kid? Someone else, why does this matter? Anybody? You mentioned the um, perpetuating adolescence, but we're also robbing children of childhood. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you're, that's really brilliant, uh, Libby. So I've done family work for years, and there were things, you know, 30 years ago, you would give a teaching and address critical ideas to college students, okay? Then all of a sudden, high schoolers are dealing with what college students are dealing with. Now junior hires are dealing with college, what high schoolers are dealing with, and now elementary age kids are dealing with what high schoolers and college students have dealt with. Our culture at Libby is absolutely on its head. Absolutely. So. How do you define success? Men, <clears throat> acting like a man of God isn't about dominating enemies or hiding in fear and shame. A man of God courageously lives out the grace and truth of Jesus. There it is. There it is. Courageously living out the grace and truth of Jesus. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Act like men. Be strong. All that you do must be done in love. And that is beautiful. So, um, all right. Anybody else? Final word before we pray in worship. Anybody else? God's spirit is really compelling you. You, you need to say this. The Joseph story. Yes. I like the part that you have up there highlighted that says our suffering is never wasted. Never wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Because if we could pull back the veneer, right, our, our veneers, um, there's a lot of pain in this room right now. Right now. There's a lot of pain in this room. A lot of disappointment, a lot of emptiness, a lot of loneliness. You can be in a crowd and be absolutely lonely. A lot of pain. And he will never waste that. That's why Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're really, really hungry, I understand, you will be filled one day. If you're really thirsty, you're going to have something to drink that's incredible. Yeah. If you have sorrow and sadness, you weep. One day, your tears will be turned to joy. Yeah. Our, so our suffering is never wasted. Yeah. Thank you, Janice, for, for saying that. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, would, I, would, I would say this. And let me say this as lovingly as I know how to say this. Uh, if you and I have a brain in our heads, <laughs> we're going to run to Jesus, okay? We're going to know who to run from. But in all of that, we had better run to Jesus. James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. Draw near. Emmanuel. Jesus promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. I and you, you and me, that the world may know the Father has sent me. What you chasing after? Would you check? Let me pray and bless you. Abba Father, um, would you please do a deep work of grace in each heart right now? We claim your name. We say we know you. And yet we live life in our own strength, trying to be successful because we are with ourselves and content with the lesser when we should be chasing hard after you so that we can say you are with me. And your favor is upon me through your Son. 
Thank you for Joseph. Teach us to run away from the world and run hard after you. Thank you for what you've accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, bless this wonderful group of people, my family. In Jesus' name, amen.